Baby boomers. I used to be with it. Millennials. Okay, boomer. Generation X. What's going on? And Gen Z. <laughs> what do they have in common? Not a lot, it turns out. But one thing they can agree on is that this is the political podcast they want to listen to. Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at political events, news and happenings across the world and at home through a generational lens. Your hosts are Dr. Emily Stacy and Professor James Davenport, two political scientists from Rose State College. But the views expressed on this program are solely the views of the host and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. Coming up on today's program, it's been insanity, it's been chaos, it's been the inmates running the asylum, all of that, right? We're going to take this gun and point it at our foot and pull the trigger. We're also foaming at the mouth. And now, here are James and Emily. Hey, Emily, how are you doing? I'm great. It's Friday. It's fall. It's starting to feel like, you know, football season, actually, yes. right? Sweater weather. It's That's very right. exciting. We both have our sweaters on. Yes. Rose State, right. we're still repping, right? That's you can't right. see us, That's but we're right. still repping. You got you to gotta show support. <laughs> but uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, right? It has been a week. It has been a lot. You know, I'm kind of sore this week. I am. Um, uh, got back into the gym and uh, I'm a little older than I used to be, if you don't know. Uh, and the muscles take a little bit more time to, to recuperate from from that activity. So I'm a little sore, but uh, but uh, man, I'm also a little battered mentally from all the stuff that's been going on. It has been, I mean, I, I don't I don't even know where to start, but I think we know where to start, but we don't know where it's, it's going to end. It's just it's been insanity. Yes. It's been chaos. It's been the inmates running the asylum, yeah. all of that, right? But all from the same party. Get, let's uh, get it, into it. it. Large part. Now, I we're going to get into this. Stop teasing I'm the people. Give, I'm not going to give the Democrats a pass entirely. But yes, by and large, this was all coming out of one side of the house, I right? Mean, yeah. Okay. I'll so, be interested to see how you frame that Democrat so argument. If, if you don't know, if you've been under a rock for the last week or two, right? you might not realize there's been just complete chaos in the U.S. House of Representatives. So uh, Matt Gates, a uh, representative from Florida, uh, filed a motion to vacate the office of Speaker of the House. And why was that, Professor Davenport? Because yeah. I do believe that we pontificated on this yeah, on the last right. podcast. So, so Gates was upset that uh, Speaker McCarthy, former Speaker McCarthy now, um, negotiated with Democrats to not shut down the government, right? And exactly. got something through the House uh, based on having some Democrat votes. I, have to, I, I just need to stop you right here because I have been basking in the glory of my rightness. for the right, In all of my American Confederal government classes, right, for the last two weeks, I've been telling these kids through the shutdown argument that there was no way that we, we keep the government open and McCarthy keeps his job. There was just... There was just not going to happen. He had to crawl to the Democrats to pass that continuing right. resolution. And, and you know what? I am not a fan of Kevin McCarthy. I don't feel sorry for him. No, not if you know the history. But, but, it, but he did the right thing in that scenario, right? He said, we're not going to shut down the government based on the complaints of a few, quite frankly, cranky representatives. Yeah, in the House. 
And if I've got to go pull some Democrats to make it happen, I'm going to do that. Right. Uh, And it cost him his job. And he had to know he had to know that that was going to happen. Absolutely. Well, okay. so let's I mean, you you said it started this week, but I think we got to go all the way back to January. Right. Um, Whenever it took, what, 15, 16 15 votes votes. uh, for him to actually take that leadership position, but it was with the caveat that it would only take one motion to vacate to start that process. So Kevin McCarthy kind of always knew that he was probably pretty tentative. Um, This was just kind of the nail in the coffin. This was a way to hold him hostage, right? Uh, and, uh, And he had worked and worked. Now, his problem was, uh, from what I understand, nobody really trusted him, yes, right? No. The, the White House didn't trust the him. Democ- the no. Democrats didn't uh, trust him. Right. And a good deal of his caucus didn't. He had or, reneged or on a couple of different him, right? things yeah. with the Democratic Party and then uh, didn't really come to them. And then, of course, uh, during the shutdown, uh, didn't come to them until it was the last minute. Sure. But, of course, in an attempt to appease uh, the, the Gateses and the Boberts and, and the Taylor Greens, uh, he also launched that impeachment inquiry into Biden. And right. so that was... That was cutting everything off with the Democratic Party sure. in the House at that point. Yeah. And so so they file this. They have a vote uh, and eight Republicans. So just so you know, Republicans have a razor thin majority. Four votes, I think, is what they that they can spare. Right. Yep. Uh, so eight Republicans and all of the Democrats voted to vacate the chair. Yep. Right. Now, this is uh, this is historic. We've yeah. never had a Speaker of the House uh, removed like this. Right. Uh, so it is historic in, in that sense. Uh, and nobody knows who's going to step in and fill no. that, that, that role, right? Who's going to be able to satisfy all these different That's parties? exactly the problem that they have now. They've got about six or seven names uh, that have been floated out there right Wait, now. Let me guess. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh-oh. Is Donald Trump one of those names? Uh, yes, but his old buddy Sean Spicer yesterday pretty pretty clearly, uh, I think, assuaged a lot of people's uh, minds about that. Sean uh-huh. Spicer uh, reiterated the fact that that man, Donald Trump, does not want to be Speaker of the House and does not want any part of that Who nonsense. Would exactly. Point? Who would? Right? I am not sure, but that man is running for president. He is he not is interested. running for president, and the only calculation that would be going through his mind is, does this help me or hurt me exactly. in running for president, and it, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think personally, the the infighting without him hurts the Republican Party wholly in the election. But again, back to your statement uh, that we started this thread on. I don't know who comes uh, who comes next. Yeah. Um, there, there's not uh, obviously someone who is so far to the right, like a Jim Jordan, is the one right now who Trump's endorsed. Apparently, yeah, as of this morning, right? Um, that's going to be probably the end of <laughs> him being viable uh, for those moderate Republicans. Then you have folks. You've got actually two Oklahomans, right? Let's bring it back home. Uh, rumored on this list, uh, Tom Cole, who would be my actually, obvious choice. Actually, Cole would not be. Oh, I think a, he would be great. Bad. Bad choice, I think that right? he would be a, a great establishmentarian, moderate, sane, Mitt Romney esque conservative. And he's got conservative. It's not Bonifies. like he's, oh, he's yeah, been there no, forever. No. He, he'll support yeah. tax cuts, yes. he, you know, all of this stuff. Um, so it's not like he's a, a, a raving moderate who abandons the party on He's on just not going to do this wackadoodle stuff that no. that wing of the party no. wants he's him not. to do. Yeah. And which is why he won't get their support, exactly. right? I just don't think that Jim Jordan or a Scalise, uh-huh. I think they are too far to the right I, for the Tom Coles. I think you're right. Here's the question I have, and this is yeah. where I'm going to go and say, I'm going to I'm going to 
ding the Democrats in the House just a little bit on this, all right? They didn't start this process. No, they did not. They have no obligation to do anything, no, but... When the vote came, they voted to support the chaos, uh -huh. not prevent it from occurring. Right? I, I would so, like to see this reversed so and Nancy <laughs> Pelosi to have been kept and re retained in that seat. Well, that but that wasn't the option. That wasn't so, the option. I'm just saying. So uh, when Democrats had the opportunity to be the adults in the room and say, we're not going to let these eight Republicans throw the House in chaos, we will we will hold our nose and keep McCarthy there so we can keep moving forward. They said, nope, not going to do it. Now, I understand why, yeah, right? They didn't trust him. He apparently has moved, moved off. So, And they're under no obligation to help him. Right. And like I said, I don't feel sorry for Kevin McCarthy. He made his own bed. He's going to have to lie in it. But but if you're, if you're, just up, if you're upset about the chaos, sure. you cannot exempt the Democrats from some culpability in creating it, right? I I know, I know, and I agree. They didn't start this this road. They had no obligation to bail Kevin McCarthy out, but they could have went to somebody on their, hey, look, if you put up Tom Cole, we will vote for Tom Cole right now. And I think you could have had a majority of Democrats and enough Republicans to make that happen. And at least you know who, who the speaker is coming was, up front. There right? was no kind of organization in that. Was, I, mean, I mean, that no, was not, no, that no, was, that's kind was of a crack there's dream no, there. There's no thought process going, and certainly not on uh, those eight Republicans. No. There's other than we can burn the house down and we're going to do it because we're not getting our way. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, of course, push back on the, your, your Democratic, I'm fine uh, with the, that. the Democratic listen, Party. I, I, listen, I just think that's a sliver of it. I'm not, I agree, I'm not laying right? this at their feet and that's saying, fair. This is their problem. Sure. It's just no, absolutely not. And I, it's an election year. It's yeah, a campaign season. Right. And yeah. yes, we we <laughs> expect, and we would love to think that there are adults in the room and all of that fun stuff. But they're gonna, they are watching the Republican Party eat itself. And I mean, and, and, and what are these people thinking? I mean, if you're a Republican know. and you're looking at Biden's polling numbers, yes. which are abysmal. Mm -hmm. Um, nobody is, Democrats aren't happy with him. Republicans and moderates aren't happy with him. And instead of being on the same page of we've got yes. a real chance of yeah. winning back the, the presidency, right. uh, making some gains in the House, maybe even making some gains. In, instead of doing that, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Right. They're like, we're going to take this gun and point it at our foot and pull the trigger. Yeah. And I think that you know, the gates of the world believe that it's going to be useful, that it's going to help. Uh, and, you know, the the rhetoric and uh, to kind of stir the pot and lead directly to Trump, right? All roads lead to Trump in 2024. But it's really, I, I, the American people want to see governance. Now, let me, okay, now I'm really going to, uh -oh. uh, uh, you might really get a little oh, aggravated at me for this, right? Is, is, um, is Gates a millennial? No, I don't think so. No, I don't How old know. Is he? I'm gonna. Well, let's look at that up. Can we? Just, I'm just wondering because I was I was um, listening to some folks discussing this, and they were talking about how you have a new breed of congressperson who are not all that concerned about legislating. They're concerned about social media hits and concerned about ramping up their fundraising ability through stuff they do through social media. And so you have some some new legislators who, rather than hiring legislative aides to actually get legislation passed, they're hiring social media experts to move them. And I'm just wondering, that's, yeah, 
seems a little sketchy to me, and I'm wondering if that's a generational thing. Yeah, so exactly. what'd you find out? Yes, he is on the cusp. Uh, yeah, right, yes, 1982. Right. So, so we have uh, to take credit for him. <laughs> but that's all right, because, you know. And 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 uh, he, he clearly, listen, his voters voted for him, yeah. right? He's, and yeah. he's not going to do anything that he thinks is going to put himself exactly. at risk with those yeah, folks. Right. So he clearly thinks... They're on board with this kind of action. Exactly. Right. He's he and Ramaswamy are. I mean, that that's uh, yeah. This is that's the new breed of young Republican that grew up whenever I was and, in in university. Right? And, and listen, <laughs> I'm not the kind who thinks I want Congress passing a whole bunch of laws, but there one. are important ones that we kind of need to get done. Like right. And that might be a good one to start mm, with. Right. Like the ag bill that's about to uh, uh, expire. And, and, and that's right. Impact that's Oklahoma right. really. Uh, and, and another thing, uh, and, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but another thing that uh, was aggravating for these these Republicans was the funding for Ukraine, yes, which I, the Republicans used to be the party of anti-Russia, anti Russia, yeah. right? You can't trust them. And, and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. We just, it, it, they're almost like, it's almost like you have a, Updated version of uh, oh, who was the prime minister during World War II that that was like peace in our time? Uh, his name's right off the top. You know, right before Winston Churchill, oh, uh, uh, Neville, Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain. It's like you got a bunch of Neville yeah. Chamberlains who are just hype, hyped up social media, you know, uh, pursuers, and and they're like, oh, it's not going to matter. Just let them do this, and this doesn't mess with us anyway. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think it goes right back to us you know, lamenting candidate recruitment, and I mean, all of the things that we talked about in the the podcast last time. Um, you know, people are not paying attention. I they right. they are choosing the loudest, most bombastic person in the room. Said, "Oh yeah, that's my guy. That he's going to get some stuff done, or at least he's going to yell the loudest." That's right. And that's, right. I, that's not a way to govern. It's not. Yeah, they'll I mean, they'll fight. Yeah, but sometimes you got to be able to compromise. compromise. You got to be able to collaborate yeah. with other people to get stuff Including done. Including Democrats. I mean, one of the first bills that Obama uh, co-authored in Senate whenever he became a senator was with Coburn. Coburn, that's right. Hey. That's exactly right. Uh, and so, uh, and and when your majority is that thin, mm -hmm. to think that you have some right, and I get it, the House is a majoritarian institution. If you can get 218 votes, you can do anything you want. But when your majority is that thin, you need to be thinking, what can we get done? Yeah. And let's not just try to cram everything down the other side's throat. Uh, we can make campaign cases in campaign years when we should have more of our party. Mm -hmm. But let's figure out what we can get done, where we can be a little bit more unified uh, and then put those those other issues off to the side for campaign season. Yeah. Right. Uh, but nobody's thinking that way. No. Every it, It's constant campaign. It is. It is. I we should have uh, pulled how much uh, how much legislation has actually been passed since January. I we uh, I didn't think about that, lot, but not a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, we yeah. we should pull those numbers eventually. That, that would be uh, interesting to look at, mm -hmm. right? So we know even in a normal time, very little legislation oh, yeah. gets passed, right? right? Usually about four percent of yeah, the bills that right. are filed, and I, I would bet it's less than that. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, the chaos didn't just end at the national level. We had some some funky things going on here at the state level too, right? So Governor Stitt calls a special session. Now, when I when he called the special session, if I remember right, he said, I want to eliminate the income tax, right? The state income tax. Yep. 
Uh, I want to put us on a path to getting to zero income tax, and I want these accountability measures uh, to to make more transparency in the uh, in the budgeting process, right? Uh, and uh, and then. Uh, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. when uh, so so in between that time, uh, Senator President President Pro Tem uh, Greg Treat mm-hmm. says, "Well, do we have a plan? What's the plan to do this?" And there's no plan. The, the The governor basically said, "I told you what I want you to do. You figure out the plan. How to do it? Right? Exactly. But, but, yeah." Isn't that, is that, okay. He has a bunch of charts and, uh, you know, these big poster boards and, you know, there are lines and numbers on them. But and he says, go, go do it. Right. Go. And so Treat says, well, why don't Governor Stitt, why don't you come? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to hold a, a Senate Budget and Appropriations yeah. Committee hearing. Why did you come mm-hmm. and present your information and your plan to that committee? And then we can talk about how we can make that work if, it, if we can. Yeah. Right. And sit hems and haws, and and then finally is like, no, I'm not going to do that, yeah. right? Uh, and comes out that Tuesday, the day the special session is supposed to start, holds a press conference, and basically says, well, really, what I want is a quarter percent cut in the income tax, right? Then why did you just say that to begin with? Exactly. Right. Uh, that would have been, I think, right. I don't think Treat would have been all this uh, concerned if that's where the governor had started. But instead, the governor starts with, we're going to eliminate it, not going to replace it with anything, right. and just make it happen. And, and Treat's like, well, I'm not sure that's good for the budget. Exactly. Right? Uh, let's, let's talk about this. So you have that. The Senate does hold its uh, Budget and Appropriations yes, Committee hearing. But guess who does not show up? This governor does not show up. I don't think anybody from his administration showed up. Now, there were some, uh, if I understand, there were some agency heads that showed up and stuff like that talking about this. Uh, And they conclude their hearing and treats like, well, we don't have a plan. We haven't heard from the governor. We're done. And signy die. We were adjourning and and we're done. Uh, The House, meanwhile, it hadn't even started doing much, nope. right? And McCall, McCall was at the press conference yes, with yes, Treat. Yeah. McCall's on board. It seems like he's like right there with yeah. with the, the governor. Uh, and McCall now is left holding the bag. Yeah. What do you do? Well, nothing the because done. the Senate is done. <laughs> you can't move bills. You can't. You could pass something out of the House, right. but it's not going to go it's anywhere. Not going to the right. desk of the governor. That's right. And so uh, McCall, he did not sign. He die. He he, he adjourned to, subject to the call of the That's speaker. Right. right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I don't know where they're going to go from this. Nowhere. And this was so poorly coordinated. It really was, yeah. I mean, if you're the governor and you want to have a bold move, and I'm, listen, I, if I'm a governor, I want to have a bold move too, right? right? Uh, if you want to have a bold move, go work with these folks ahead of time. Exactly. Because you need them. Right. This special session wasn't, I mean, this has been rumored throughout the summer. Uh-huh. Right? This wasn't just something that, you know, spontaneously sure. came up. So Stitt had a long time, uh, or at least an adequate amount of time to do his research to get the numbers together to distribute it to his party. Right. What What is really interesting, and again, for the folks uh, who are not uh, maybe nearly as uh, mired in Oklahoma politics as we are, um, you've got a, a super majority of Republicans, right? Obviously, your governor's are Republican and both McCall uh, and Greg Treat are Republicans. If they want to do something, they're going to get it done, right? I mean, we saw that with school choices, controversial as it was, they got that done uh, because they wanted to, right? And and so if they wanted to do this, they could have got it done. So I don't know what the conflict here, but, uh, but I think Treat does not like the governor saying, 
go do, do this, it. Yeah, right? no. Greg Treat has been, I, he has been a long standing center. I, I would have expected that his term limit is up yes. um, pretty quick. He was there whenever I was at the state capitol. Uh, and he's always been like this. He's very gung ho. Whenever he was doing uh, a lot of the DHS reform okay. bills, um, this is just his manner. He gets stuff done, but you've got to communicate with him. You've got to give him the information so that he can make the best decisions. And right. most of the pro tems have been like that, that I've seen. Um, so he's not going to just. Whatever you say, this. I'm going to do this. He's like, well, let's put put a plan together. Let's see how we can do this in a way that doesn't uh, ca- wreak havoc with the budget, cost agencies funds. Yeah. You know, that, that sounds reasonable to me. Right. You know, um, now I will say, because I was looking into this, um, I am not a fan of the income tax, whether it's at the national level or the state level. Let me just throw that out there. Full disclosure, not a fan He's of it. He's a libertarian. Uh, but... I think there's some complications with eliminating the state income tax without having a plan of, because where's that money coming from? That's a lot of money in the state budget. Um, Yes. uh, I think it could be done, but one of the complications that I don't think you, they can get rid of their whole school choice program was built upon the existence of an income tax because the way it functions is it's a tax credit. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you don't have an income tax, how are you going to how are you going to make that work? And it seems to me that that he didn't take that into account, nor did he take into account that he has been chirping for a long time. And he actually has Democrat support on this of eliminating the sales tax on groceries. Right. right? Do something. Uh, that popular, seems like an Stitt. easy call yes. Yes. Uh, and, and, and an easy call. And I'm going to tell you, if people are worried about making up revenues, there's an easy way to do that. I say easy way. All right. Uh, but. We do not apply our sales tax to services. Almost all services in the state are exempt. And in an economy where the bulk of your economy is now in the service sector rather than uh, the manufactured products of goods and such, um, you want to not be having a shrieking sales tax base. You want that growing one. And so we ought to just extend that sales tax to those services and move on the round down the road. That would That would certainly make up the gap coming from uh, a loss in revenue from the sales tax on groceries. Um, And for those that are concerned, uh, there's always been this, this, this concern about sales taxes that they tend to be regressive. Mm -hmm. That's especially true for items that households need need. Right. And so, but I think with services, what you're going to find out is more wealthy households consume services at a greater rate than poorer households. And so if you're concerned about progressivity, that seems to be a little bit more of a progressive way of of doing a a sales tax than how we do it now. Uh, Now, you know, we need to see all the numbers. And I think this is where, again, I'm, I'm right there with treat. I'm not opposed to this idea, but I want to see some numbers. I want to see some hard numbers that we can validate that says, here's how we can do this while meeting the services of our citizens. We've got to make sure that we do that. Uh, well, does it disrupt the function of government? And that is a, a, a tax system that is fair and efficient, right? right? And that ought to be the aim. Right. Uh, and uh, and I don't see that. I, I just didn't see any of that coming from the governor's office. It's just, we want to get rid of it. Okay, right. that's a goal. That's not a plan. Exactly. Uh, that's a, uh, Maybe that was an, one of his aspirational goals, right? Uh, maybe that was really the goal. I don't know, but just... Can't you coordinate with some folks? Right, exactly. Can't you just like come down and say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. And then they can say, OK, well, here's the information that we'd like to have. OK, let's figure out how we can put that together. 
And maybe instead of calling a special session, they could have called an interim study, right? And said, let's look at this. So if we come up with something, we have something ready to go in the next session, right? And we don't have to wait and figure this out. And and waste taxpayer dollars. Right. I mean, how much did that special session cost? Because you got to pay all those legislators, right? The the per diem rate Mm -hmm. that they get. Uh, you got to have the staff there, all of that. So you, it's almost like the legislature is in session yeah. for that time. And that's a lot of cost uh, to, to get nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Right. I, I sense that there is still not a whole love lo- uh, a lot of love lost between Treat and Stead. It seems like there is some conflict still residing there, okay. right? Uh, and I'm not sure what that is. Now, I, I guess, of course... I, I guess McCall and Stitt have kind of made up a little bit, right? I mean, there was friction between them, especially on that school choice stuff. Uh, This last year, there wasn't just smooth sailing. They finally, they all got to the same place eventually, but it took a lot of work for for that to happen. Uh, And I don't know, you know, Maybe McCall, I think McCall is planning on running for governor the next I, time around. I think that Treat is also thinking. Uh, I, would, think so? I would be surprised so if he's not thinking about Maybe there's some something. conflicts there. I'm not sure what's going on. But uh, I do think in, in this instance, Treat was right yeah. to say, let's do this in a way that we can justify it. Let's do this in a way that we have accounted for how this is going to happen and how, what effect it's going to have right. rather than just, say, oh, the governor wants to do this, so let's go do it. And if right. the governor just wanted a quarter percent cut in the income tax, you should have led with that. Led with that. Lead with that. And uh, that would have, I don't think he would have got the resistance that he got no. initially, right? I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so I, again, I don't know if this is, I really have a, this feeling that when you come into government without any other experience and you come into government from a CEO background where you're used to just giving orders, yep. And you don't realize these folks over here who you need don't take orders for you, right? They they don't uh, they don't serve you. Yeah, um, it's a different environment. Exactly. I he, I. Yeah. Just, Get the feeling sometimes he still hasn't learned that. That I was just about to make that parallel back to Donald Trump, right? Whenever he first came into office, he really had, and I mean, throughout his four years, had a very hard time getting that. Uh, He had to work with the legislature, and that the he needed the legislator a whole lot more than the legislator needed him. And in any any democratic system, the legislature is going to be the player, right? It's going to be the one that determines what happens and what doesn't. Uh, and that's how it should be, quite exactly, frankly. Right. I, don't the want, house. Yeah. I don't want a system where the president can act like a king and just right. say, do this and do that. And everybody just falls. I don't want that at all. Oh, right. uh, uh, even if that that person was as libertarian as me, I don't want that. Exactly. I don't want that. The legislature should be. And the legislature requires us to compromise. Right. It requires us to figure out how do we take the differences between our our ideologies, our political leanings, our constituencies, how do we reconcile those to produce the best that we can, yeah. right? Uh, and so I'm a big fan of the legislature, uh, and I want it holding the power. And I want a legislature that's willing to step stand up to an executive, not one that's just going to roll over and be their lapdog. Absolutely. I don't know that I've ever told you, right? Um, Because I think, I get the sense that you think that I use the word libertarian in a derogatory way. (laughs) I refer to myself as a liberal-tarian, right? Uh, So on most social issues, I I am very liberal, but otherwise I want the government to, you know, back off and leave me alone. So we, again, we meet in the, at the ends most days. I think people would be surprised how much agreement that, uh, that you and I might have on some things or 
or others. Um, I just want people to be left alone for the me most too. part, right? Especially uh, me. Thanks. And 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 I want the I I don't want us to always presume that because the government's going to do it that that is some non-human entity, right? right? People who are, work in government have the same frailties, mm-hmm. same interests, same goals as all of us, same faults. Uh, and we should not expect that because the government is doing it, all of a sudden, all of those human frailties that we see in other sectors vanish, right? right? Uh, now, we talked about state, we talked about the national level, of the ca- but we've got some interesting stuff going on internationally as well, yes? Yeah, a couple of uh, summits have uh, just occurred uh, late September. So you had uh, BRICS meeting first. The This is a an alliance that uh, rivals Western uh, international organizations sure. or Western-led. So for, for our listeners yes. who might not know what BRICS yeah, stands oh, for, can you... I was about to get into it. Ah, okay, okay, I jumped ahead, sorry. No, no, sorry. you're yeah. fine, absolutely. <laughs> no, because I wanted to plug my book. Uh, so, right, uh, my latest book uh, really dissects some of the uh, deglobalization that's uh, that's occurring uh, and the sort of global balance of power that is shifting uh, currently. And, of course, uh, you can see this in the existence of BRICS, right? So BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Um, and so they are their own sort of economic, political um, association organization, effectively. Now, these, these countries, yes. would it be safe to say these countries are perceived to keep kind of be like second tier economic uh, folks. Uh, is that correct? I, and I don't say that insultingly. I mean, just they're not at the level of the United States, China. If you look at GDP or if you look at um, per capita income, they're like just below. Is is that fair to say or is that not fair to say? Um, well, I mean, because China is part of BRICS, I would probably argue that Well, maybe. Yeah, of course, you look at China's per capita income, it's not that great, but they do have the second largest GDP. They do. uh, And they also have a lot of investments around the world with the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, So BRICS, let me not let me not diverge because I can go on forever about these things. Um, So BRICS really is important uh, in in terms of this rebalancing, like I said, of the global uh, balance of power, especially right now, because you have Russia, obviously, um, really pushing at the democratic, liberal democratic order that we've known uh, post-World War II, which has relied upon the existence uh, of these international organizations like the United Nations, uh, which also had a summit directly after BRICS. I don't think it was a coincidence uh, that BRICS held their summit right before the United Nations. Um, One of the huge things that came out of BRICS um, was that they're now BRICS Plus. Um, So they've added uh, another six uh, countries, oh, wow. uh, which is okay. massive. So they've added two new African countries, uh, two new Middle Eastern countries, uh, and Argentina, right? Um, so it's Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, that are now joining. And so I think probably uh, your your GDP argument may get a little bit skewed there. The UAE makes a ton of money. Yeah, well, they got they got some oil deposits, uh, right? They do. Uh, this is a big deal because um, whenever they formally join in 2024, um, this expanded group will now produce f- over 42% of the glo- global oil supply and 37% uh, of the gas uh, gas supply, which is ginormous, right? And so if I'm Vladimir Putin, and I am a huge player in BRICS, and I'm Xi Jinping, and I'm a huge player in BRICS, and all I want to do is stick it to the West, this is a massive upgrade for them. And, and it certainly, uh, personally inviting Iran um, is uh, no, um, certainly no uh, pat on the back. Right. The um, 
this should only incentivize the West transition away from uh, oil and gas as energy sources. Right? I would I mean, think you, so. You, you, now, um, I think I, I think there's a, a an answer to that that is better than our current way we're trying to do this. Uh, and I think uh, Germany is learning this kind of the hard way, which is the, the, the science, if you're one of these folks, follow the science, all right? The science is pretty clear. The cleanest, most efficient source of energy, and especially when we're talking about producing electricity and right. things like that, is nuclear energy. And it's also the safest to produce. Yeah. Um, and in the U.S., uh, during the 70s, uh, we got on a train of, well, we're not going to do the in, in nuclear anymore. Uh, Germany was about to close down one of its nuclear plants. But you know what country in the West has some of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, emissions rates? France. You know where France produces most of its energy from? Nuclear energy, right? Uh, and so uh, this should make the West think. Uh, and listen, I'm not... I think there are some, again, I'm, I, I hate bashing on my Republican brethren. Sure. I used to be one of them, uh, th- and I hate bashing on them too much. But there are some Republicans that have some cultish-like fetish for oil and gas, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. And no, we can't transition from now, tomorrow, to something else. Right. But there's no, if we have a better way of producing energy, that's more efficient, less damaging to the environment, whether you're a climate change denier or whatever else, I don't care about that. The fact is nuclear is better for the environment in almost every way than oil and gas is. Right. All right. And so um, uh, why would we not transition to something that's better? And, and that gives us time to develop wind and solar to make them more efficient, to bring them online uh, without, you know, this kind of massive, shift that we have to have all these subsidies and we right. don't know what works. And, and then, you know, what is somebody, I think it's Germany shutting down North a, uh, North the, too. Yeah. there a couple of things and now they're having to rely on a coal plant, right? right? Yeah. Does that make sense to anybody? So, uh, that should, that should make that the West say, what can we do to more quickly transition out of reliance on oil and gas. You're never not going to have, there's too many products that are made with oil and gas to say we're never going to use them. But we should not be opposed if we find a better way of producing energy to do that. I agree. I mean, a lot of American uh, consumption of oil is Canadian anyway, Uh right? Um, So I'm not, I I, I don't know how much in terms of, uh, yes, I do agree with you. I think that this may be a poke uh, in the terms of us getting to a place where we decide that we're going to invest in other sources of energy. Um, I just am not wholly sold that you're going to have that. I mean, that contingency well, that still right. fight against you. You're right. And you're going to have to have some compromise yeah. and you're going to have to 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 say we're not going to get everything we want, but right. we can move in a better direction. With right? no Speaker of the House. Yeah, um, well, there we go. Uh, so that's, that's going to be another Another interesting point with the BRICS um, conversation uh, goes to the currency, right? Um, and, and the economic situation, right? So um, it's not necessarily a, a model of global governance at this point. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of these countries are uh, in the global south is the appropriate term uh, in terms of international relations. Uh, we don't we don't use second world countries anymore. Uh, things like that. Um, so um, it is interesting. Yes, they are. Of course, uh, they're more than poor. Right. Um, but that also is something that the G7 needs to kind of realize these countries 
as we just mentioned, they are still important players within the global scene. And so, um, right. and, and they're com- they're binding themselves together in this association because they've been eschewed by the West, right? Uh, and specifically by the United States uh, in these international organizations like the IMF, for example. Uh, and so this BRICS is the answer for them. Um, it, it is interesting. It notes, um, for, uh, I had a foreign affairs, read a foreign affairs article um, that all BRICS plus members and the future group, uh, I'm sorry, the future of the group partner countries, uh, they all have their own agendas, right? So they're not uh, attached to, um, you know, pushing Putin's line uh-huh. or, right. right. Uh, and so that is a, so a really cooperation between them is not necessarily guaranteed is what, what they're saying. It's, is that right? right. They're, I mean, they're promoting their own vision of the world, but it is, it's working against that capitalist, imperialist, right, right notion that they believe right. uh, that global order has rested on for the last sure. 70 or so years. Uh, so again, this is, you know, this is an, an important development, um, the, the fact that they've expanded and have added uh, specifically Iran, which is a, an enemy of, of the state. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting, of course. The uh, the bricks are getting better, bigger, better and bigger, better and bigger, and the West ought to take notice. And uh, and I'm going to say this: the 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 response ought not to be immediately confrontational. It shouldn't, right? Uh, we should say, okay, right. what what's going on here, and how do we expand right. uh, things that have been happening? to include these countries yes. rather than marginalizing Right, them, because right? a lot of these countries, and again, there's no real threat to the American dollar, but these countries are starting to trade amongst each other in their own national sure, currencies. Right. Again, not going to ever harm, uh, you know, the, the United States dollar, uh, you know, economically speaking in terms of global trade, but it is a development that we need to be aware of. Sure. Um, so kind of ponied uh, or dovetailed to that was the UN uh, summit, and I'll just briefly go through this. So September, um, marked the opening of the 78th session uh, of the UN. And so each session lasts a year. Um, So this was September 19th through the 26th. Uh, You had 194 speakers. And so that includes, of course, the Secretary General, uh, Antonio Gutierrez, uh, and Pope Francis actually spoke uh, as well. Uh, And all 193 countries that are officially recognized by the UN are invited to speak um, absent, right? So that the math doesn't math there, right? So I'm sure you're, I know you are mathing right now. Um, So who was absent from that list. Uh, Afghanistan, obviously, since the Taliban's takeover. Um, uh, Myanmar, obviously, uh, military junta, a lot of things going on there. Uh, Niger, going through a coup, currently. Uh, And then the really questionable one, not uh, the international community is kind of perplexed by this one. Uh, Madagascar didn't show up. Um, (laughs) It's uh, not anything kind of major going on there. It seems like it was kind of just an administrative failure, like it didn't get put on the schedule. Oh, we Um, forgot. (laughs) Do I have a meeting today? Is it really supposed to be somewhere? Right? Um... There's a really deep gender divide. Um, and, I, and of course, this is palpable in politics all across the world. But within the United Nations, um, it is just blaringly obvious. Uh, so the, of the speakers, just 21 of them were women. Uh, 174 men. And only 20? 21 women. Uh, 21 women spoke. Okay. So this goes to something that I'm, I'm curious about, yes. right? Now, in, elect, in, nation, in democratic nations for women have to get elected, right? So let's take anybody that comes from a non-democratic, but, but most of those countries are going to be democratic yeah, still, right? right. Um, so is this a fact of um, 
not enough women running for office? Or is this the fact that the population still aren't electing them when they have the option to? Is it a combination of both? What do you think is going on there? I think in a lot of these countries, it's that there are not enough women being recruited or feel like they are knowledgeable enough or worthy. I mean, in some of these countries, right, um, you know, women don't have human rights. And so running for office is the least of their concern, right? Um, And so I think uh, you can see it in Europe. Europe, has an abundance. I mean, in any parliament, it's almost in 20 to 30 uh, to 40 percent women. Uh, and, and most of the Germany, for example, uh, the United Kingdom has a high rate uh, of women. What is it well. in, the, in the U.S. in Congress? It's about 20 percent, I think. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Um, so we're getting better, but still not super. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is stereotypes across, you know, the world about women running and being in positions of, of power. We're getting better, but we're nowhere than near where we should be. Uh, well, and I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering, that I've, I've heard some people talk about this before. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see some research on this to, to, to verify any of this, which is there's always been this case, well, um, m- men are more likely to seek these offices than women. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Um um, I know that, you know, we have had women elected to, to various positions yeah. in our state. We've had a, a woman governor uh, and uh, we even have a woman elected member of the House sure. from Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, I don't know if that's true. I'd really like to see some some research on that that says here's and but if I'm anybody, man, woman, whoever, do I want to run for office in this environment? I wouldn't. I mean, do I want to put myself up through the grueling scrutiny, the constant criticism, the threats, the threats that are going to, pu- I mean, you can't right, go out and eat right. in public. Yeah. It's, I so, mean, that's a really hostile uh, environment, particularly in the United States. We are hyper polarized and um, we're also foaming at the mouth, apparently, so, uh, in so some corners. That causes me to think, okay, well, what kind of people? are interested in running for office in this environment. Uh, and uh, I think we've seen this week the kind of people who are interested in running for office in this environment, right? Yep. Uh, those that are that are more concerned about building their own brand, right. those who are more concerned about uh, getting a following and not so much concerned about uh, making government work. I will never own Matt Gates. Like, I can't. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I would like he is he's a pre-millennial. I don't know. We're making we are making a new generation here, people. But I just can't. There was a there was a a, a term that they used for kind of people that overlap Gen X and millennials, and I can't remember what it was called. But uh, maybe we'll, we'll put him in that category. I, yeah, we'll I agree. Them to them, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Despite the chaos, we are the source for consistency. We're the source for information. uh, And we're going to keep you abreast of everything that's going on at the state, local, uh, and national levels, and international levels. So uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, really, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. This has been good. good. There's so much going on. Uh, and never a dull moment uh, at all. Let's get some. Let's get some rest, man. The we're almost a year out from from election, election season. Next right. year is going to be insane. We're we're tired now, man. That's right. Stick with us. We'll be right. here. 
love communication that goes both ways, not just you listening to us pontificate. We would love to hear from our audience. If you have comments, suggestions, or would like to contact us about possibly being a guest on the show, please email notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu.